Good morning. Thank you for taking your time out of your schedule today to be with us. Uh, it really is just, we know there's a million things you guys could do with your time, and so we're just so thankful you guys would be willing to take your time to be here with us. Uh, we really believe the value of gathering as a church body and worshiping together and hearing the Word together and uh, having time together as a church. So um, for those of you who are near, new here with us, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Uh, we're smack dab in the middle of a series on the book of James. We are in James 4, 11, and 12. Um, and originally I was scheduled to give this message last week, and then I was sick. And so thank you, Greg, for swapping weeks with me, and uh, thank you, church, for your well wishes and prayers for the past week. It was something, a little minor sickness that happened. So it is what it is. I'm, I'm back up here this week instead. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Slander, Judgment, and Grace. And the perfect God. I didn't change that title. Darn. So, slander, judgment, and grace. So, there was a, a friend of mine in college that seemed to constantly get on my nerves. Perhaps you guys have had colleagues or friends like that in your past, or even today. It's one of those guys where uh, he always wanted the last word in a discussion, or he always would make his opinion known about a given topic. He always seemed to be just just the right moment, kind of bugging me unintentionally. For example, he always, this is going to seem silly nowadays, but he always was pursuing the same girl I was pursuing at the same time. And he always had to have, like I said, he had to have his opinion known, always one of the last word in a, in a given argument. And in turn, I would go through seasons of being more or less annoyed with him, depending on how much time I spent around him. And those seasons of most annoyance, I oftentimes found myself complaining about him uh, to other friends of ours. I would tend to speak down about him in judgment about what I believed his motive was. I assumed he must be prideful if he always has to have the last word, always wants to have that last thing he says. It, it must be a pride issue because we are both in a Christian fellowship, so I assume, like, yeah, I'm, I'm making a, a good judgment here. And we've all had people like that that rub us the wrong way at times, whether it be a, a friend, uh, whether it be a colleague, or sometimes a boss that just rubs us the wrong way and kind of gets under our skin. Or perhaps it's closer to home. Perhaps it's your kids at times. Or perhaps it's your spouse. Or teens, I can imagine you've probably complained once or twice about your parents and the way they've handled a given situation. People in our lives all around us can, can lead us to those points where we kind of um, get frustrated. And in our frustration, we speak to others about a given situation, oftentimes in complaints or judgments about, about the other person. And our words and thoughts in those situations ultimately expose a heart that is far from God. Out of my own judgmental and prideful heart, I spoke judgment against my friend of mine. But James's words for us today in James 4, they're filled with hard truth that confronts our sinful hearts, but at the same time, it brings the sweet comfort of the gospel to our soul. And so would you pray with me as we dive into James 4. Jesus, we just thank you for this time together gathered. We pray that you would speak through my words, Lord, that you would speak through your word in, the, in James. Lord, I pray that you would um, expose the sin in our heart, but at the same time bring sweet comfort of the gospel to those places, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for time together. We ask that you would give me the right words to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So like I said, we're looking at the passage of James 4, verse 11 to 12. 
It reads this way. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So my first point is slander and judgment have no place among believers. And as a few weeks ago, uh, Chuck spoke on James 3 and taming the tongue, he spoke of the power that our words contain, how powerful words, both good and bad, really can stick with us and be shaping influences in our lives. He spoke about how the tongue in our own strength is ultimately untamable. And hopefully Chuck's words have stuck with you over the past month in a good way as we remember the power of our words. And now just a chapter later, we see this topic of words come up again. And multiple times in New Testament letters, you see this idea of circular logic, where it was a common form of thought and rhetoric of the day, where somebody would talk about a subject and then kind of work around and then come back to that subject again, maybe a little bit deeper in that process. You see this uh, the book of John as well, and, and uh, First John and John's letters. You see him do this as well. He speaks in circular logic and comes back to a topic two, three, four times during a letter. And circular logic is it's really almost like you're looking at the top down of a tornado, where you see the, the tornado and you see it funneling tighter and tighter, and it's this idea where he comes back to the same topic, but a little bit deeper, a little bit different angle, a little different situation. And so you see this topic of words come up so far three times in James. You have it in James 1, you have it in James 3, you have it again in James 4. And you see him hitting this topic again and again. And it starts there with, do not speak evil one another, brothers. And the first thing to note here is that James is talking this idea of brothers. He's just come off a handful of verses here where he's talked about pretty harsh language towards the people he's talking to. In verse 4, he called them adulterous people. And here he's reminding them of their fellow brotherhood in, the, in Christ. He's binding himself to the church with, with which he's writing. He's reminding them that, hey, I'm one of you guys too. I'm a fellow brother in Christ with you. And it's in this context that he goes down that tornado circle of speech that he started in chapter 1 and continued in chapter 3. And not only is he reminding them that he is family, but he's also being extremely clear about the command he's giving. Do not speak ill of another brother. There's, it's pretty black and white. There's no gray area there. Do not speak evil. Do not speak ill of one another. In other translations, speaking evil is translated as slander. And we think slander, we think the dictionary view of, which is really more of a legal view today, which is that it's an action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. Making a false statement is damaging to someone's reputation. But really, biblically speaking, slander is simply to speak ill of. That could be false or it could be true things that we're speaking about. But it connotates it connotates sharing about someone that results in a negative depiction of another person. So you can share something completely true about a friend that's still really damaging to how others view them. That still would be biblically considered slander. And we don't know the situation James is speaking to in this moment, whether it's true things that are being shared or false things. But inside the church, there's, there's speaking ill of one another. It's probably a kind of a double click on uh, what he referenced at the beginning of chapter 4 and the conflicts in the church, it probably led to speaking ill of one another 
in that situation. And so James is very clear in his word, do not speak ill of one another. There's no qualifier, there's no excuses, there's no justification of it. James is very, being very clear that speaking ill of one another has no place in the kingdom. And James brings a very practical application to our faith in these verses. We talk about this series as James, a practical guide to living by faith. This is one of those things we see as a very practical piece of don't speak ill of one another, don't speak evil of one another. It's a clear statement, but its legs and roots are found in our faith. And so you think about it, James probably has in mind a number of verses throughout the, throughout the Bible that echo these same thoughts. It goes back to Leviticus 19, where he says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Or Psalm 101.5, which says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Or Proverbs 10.18, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Whoever utters slander is a fool. Words have power, and words have consequences. And the biblical writers constantly bring this up. Or Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And there's an old proverb that states it this way. It says, slander slays three people, the speaker, the spoken to, and the spoken of. As we read these verses, we read these sayings, I think it can be easy in our own pride to think too highly of ourselves and say, you know what, that's not, that's not me. We don't put ourselves in the category of slanderer. But as Jesus said, are we careless with our words? Are we careless about how we speak about others and to others? One of the ways I think we fall most prey to this in our culture is the idea of venting. It's kind of an acceptable sin we talk about. We do. It's okay. We come home from work and we share with our spouse about another person on the job site, whether it be our boss or coworker that did that dumb thing yet again. Or perhaps we complain to a friend about our spouse and how they didn't do that thing we wanted them to do yet again for the third week in a row. We do this to friends and classmates. We talk about our kids, talk about our spouse, talk about our parents and how we don't like the judgments they make. There's a fine line between sharing our struggles in a given situation and speaking ill of the person in those moments. If you're anything like me, we probably trample that line all the time. We have this mindset that I just need to get this off my chest. And once I get it off my chest, then I can let it go and be all good. And perhaps it's helpful in that moment for us to kind of let it out and share. But what's the result of our words? We've now cast our brother or sister in an ill light. And we've sowed a seed of disunity among the body. When I worked for a crew, um, my boss and I didn't always get along. Both of us were well-meaning, we were passionate about the mission, we had similar goals and values, but we didn't see eye to eye always on how, those things, how the ministry should play out in a given moment. And what ended up happening is that at times I would get frustrated that I didn't, I, he didn't see the way I saw. He didn't agree with my thoughts. I didn't feel like I was being heard. And as I vented my frustration to my wife, to other coworkers, or sometimes to our students that we're leading. What do you think happened? I can tell you a few things that did not happen. 
My attitude towards my boss did not get better, and other thoughts towards him were not more godly as a result of my words. If anything, I sowed dissension and disunity among our ministry, not in a large way to cause like division or anything, but subtly. And I think ultimately, as I look back, it distracted us from the mission and lessened our ultimate impact for the kingdom because of it. Because of a slight seed of, of distrust and disunity I, so, I sowed among our team at times and among our uh, ministry at times. So these, James, these words from James are a sobering reminder to myself and to all of us first to consider how we use our words when we're speaking of others. Our words matter. And James is abundantly clear that we aren't to speak evil against one another. Speaking ill of one another has no place in the kingdom, no place among believers. And now, not only is James clear that we should not speak ill of one another, he takes it really a step further as we keep reading in James 4, verse 11. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who sp- speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Did you catch that? Not only does James talk about how we speak against a brother, but also how we judge our brothers. While speaking outwardly is oftentimes the outward focus, judgment is oftentimes what takes place in our hearts, what takes place in our mind as we discern a given situation. And James here isn't saying we don't have to use judgment at all. There's multiple points in the New Testament that talks about how we need to, to use discernment and judgment when looking at things like false teachers. But what James is speaking of here is really a sinful judgment about a given person in that moment. James takes a, a page really right out of his brother Jesus' book. He magnifies the Old Testament law to a heart level. It reminds me of what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount as he took this, this idea of the outward law applying it to the heart level. You think about things in the Sermon on the, Mount, where, on the Mount where Jesus talks about how you've heard it said, do not murder one, your brother. But I say to you, when you've hated your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. Jesus echoes these same thoughts in these verses from Luke and Mark. It talks about Luke 6, 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And Mark 7, 21 through 23 says, For from within, out of the heart of the man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Our outward actions are always an overflow of our sinful heart. It's another sobering reminder of our sinful nature, our natural bent towards critical words of one another, our natural bent towards uncharitable judgments levied against others. And at this point, you're probably saying, okay, we get it. Like, we all fall into this camp of some sort or another, thinking about others badly or speaking about others poorly. So what? Why does it really matter? And really, what James goes into is, is my second point here. It says, slander and judgment are an affront against a holy God. What does James say about that? The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, it says in James 4. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So what James is saying here is that as we make these sinful choices 
to judge one another, to slander one another, to speak evil of one another, we're essentially saying that we are better than the law. What we're saying as we look at the law and say, you know what, like, I see what your, your word says, God. I see it says we should speak well of one another, we should love our neighbor. But you know what, in this moment, I think my decision of speaking bad about this person or judging this person is a better choice. Therefore, that law isn't any good, and I should just cast it aside. We're judging the law that is in front of us. And as James continues, we, we realize we're not only are we judging the law and saying we're better than the law, but in turn we're saying we're better than the lawgiver and judging the lawgiver in the process. We're judging God himself. We cannot slander the law without slandering the God who authored and gave the law. We think we know better. By speaking evil against one another or judging one another, we're telling God, I know better than what you, you know in this situation. And therefore, I'm going to choose my way over your way. And this is really our true heart exposed before God. When we sin, really in any sin, we're saying that we know better than you, God. We think our choice is going to lead to a better outcome than our choice in this moment. It's really the height of our pride. All sin has some regards come back to this pride of like, we know better than you do in this moment, God. And why is this such an affront before God? Because of James 4.12. James 4.12 says, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one who is able to save and destroy. God is the one who made the law and gave it to the Israelites in the first place. And as we sit there and sin against the law, we're, and saying we know better, we're saying we're going to put ourselves on the throne instead. But in process, by doing that, we can't save ourselves. We don't have the ability to save and destroy. So therefore, as we put ourselves on the throne, we've ultimately condemned ourselves as well. In Isaiah, it says this, Isaiah 33, 12, 22 says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. In Deuteronomy, God says, See now that I, even I, am he. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And in 1 first, in first Samuel, Hannah affirms this of God in her prayer. 1 Samuel 2 says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. God alone has authority over life and death. God alone has the right to judge. God alone has the ultimate power to save or destroy. And in 1 Corinthians, we're reminded that while we can know, only know someone's actions, God sees and knows the heart behind the scenes, which enables him to be the perfect judge that we cannot be. 1 Corinthians says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive a condemnation from God. God sees the purposes of our heart. And these are just a few of the many verses that speak to God's ultimate power and authority. So by slandering and judging one another, we're slandering the law and therefore the lawgiver. By doing so, we place ourselves in judgment and we ultimately condemn ourselves because we cannot save ourselves. We don't have the ability to save ourselves from the law we've so clearly broken. When we slander and judge others, it's an affront to God's authority and power. It's an ugly display of our own pride that we think we know better than God. And this leaves us in dire straits that we've condemned ourselves. 
But luckily, this side of Jesus, we know there's a better end of the story. We know it's not the end of the story to see our own judgment. We know it's not the end of the story when we take the throne. We know that we, we, know that we slander and judge one another. We know that by doing so, we judge the law and ultimately the lawmaker. But how does he save? It says that he is, he is able to save. He is the lone as one to save and destroy. And that really is where it comes down to that God gives grace. All three of the messages in this chapter we talked about this past couple weeks are linked. You have James uh, 4, 1 through 10 that Rick did a couple weeks ago, and Greg's last week and mine this week. They all have a similar linking. It talks about kind of an outflow of Don's message on worldly wisdom versus earthly wisdom, and how so much of this chapter comes down to this idea of pride versus humility, and how it plays out in conflict, how it plays out in our, our view towards time, how it, fl- how it plays out in our view towards others, and how, our, how we speak about others. James 4, 6 through 8 is really where we find the answer to the problem. James 4, 6 through 8 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As we see this problem in front of us of slander and judgment that we fall prey to, this this is the answer. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. In humility, we can turn to God. And no matter what, he will give us grace. That's the beauty of the gospel. No matter our actions, no matter our heart, no matter our guilt and shame, he gives us more grace. He provides the covering for our sin and saves us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life with no slander, no judgment of another. And 1 Peter 2 puts it this way. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." rather than placing himself in the judgment seat like we so often do through our actions. He entrusted himself to God to judge him justly. He entrusted himself to God, the Father who judges justly. So Jesus took upon himself the weight of our sin, and through Jesus alone, through his death and resurrection, in our place, he offers us relationship with God. This free gift is available to all anyone who wants it. This free gift is available just by asking. So the big idea really for today is this. It says, God gives grace to our slanderous and judgmental heart through the work of Jesus. God gives us grace to a heart that so desperately needs it through the work of Jesus. And as you look at this passage, we see ourselves condemned, and yet at the same time, we see in James 4 how God gives us more grace God gives us grace to our slanderous and judgmental hearts. And the beauty of relationship with God is not only like a get-out-of-jail-free card where we go back to zero. Not only do we get relationship with God and eternal life, but he gives us more grace for the here and the now. And the beauty of relationship with God is just that. We don't have to live in our condemnation any longer. We don't have to live 
purely from the outcomes of our slander and judgments against one another. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be changed. James 4.12, he kind of ends this with a rhetorical question of like, who are you to judge your neighbor? And in light of knowing who God is, it is, it is seem kind of silly. Who are we to judge? And we have access to the ultimate judge, the perfect judge. And so next time we're tempted to cast a judgment on someone or speak ill of our spouse or our parent, our friend, our boss, remind yourself that God gives more grace. The temporary relief of speaking ill against one another, it really pales in comparison to the grace God gives us in those moments. The Holy Spirit empowers us to speak a better word, perhaps exercise some self-control in those moments. Maybe even go back and apologize to someone who you have slandered or judged against in that process. I had the opportunity to do that a few, uh, about a year ago now with my old boss, and it was such an amazing time. We got to get together and kind of share our own stories of how we had sinned against one another. We were able to forgive one another and, and move forward together for the betterment of the kingdom, which was so encouraging. But as you look at this passage, this picture of not speaking evil against one another, I mean, in some regards, I look at that passage, and the first part is clear. And the second part, it's almost like a understood of like, yeah, okay, I get the idea. We can, we, any sin we do, we judge the law, judge the lawgiver. But oftentimes we can miss that gospel piece just a few verses before in James 4, 6 through 8. And when we draw deeply on Christ, we draw deeply on that more grace, that same love that caused him to become sin for us flows through us. We, like him, are empowered to be conduits for love for others. We can judge charitably. We can speak words of life, not words of death. We draw deeply on Christ. That same love flows through us to others. When we get the vertical right, the horizontal is a natural overflow of that vertical relationship with God. And not only do we get to remind ourselves of the gospel through just the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives, we also get to remind ourselves through it through the act of communion, which we get to celebrate later today. Worship team, you can head on up. Here at Grace, we practice the idea of open communion, and we really, we've made, if we've made a direct declaration in Christ, then we invite you to join us in partaking communion together. And as you think of these verses in James 4, we're reminded of our sin, reminded of our need for the gospel, and reminded of the answer of the gospel in Jesus. We get to remember what he's done for us. Communion beckons us to take time and remember His grace in a very tangible way. 1 Corinthians says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have the opportunity to take a moment and remember our own sin, our sin that Jesus bore on the cross. We have a moment to take, a moment to remember that Jesus took our sins upon the cross for us. We also get to celebrate together that death didn't have the final word. But three days later, he rose victorious as a conquering king. We'll see again, one day again. He alone is worthy of our praise. He alone is able to save and destroy. He is the king we have to celebrate. And so we take a moment, just pray together and remember all of what communion celebrates. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you can be clear about our sin. You can remind us of our need for you, but also you can remind us of your grace. You give more grace. You give more grace. Thank you, Lord, we get to praise and worship you, the King who not only died for our sins, but rose again and is sitting at the right hand of the throne. We get to remember that you had the final word and you are the king on the throne and we get to praise you because of it. Let's eat and drink and worship together. Amen.